0: Hey y'all, welcome to my very first podcast, Man Up with Billy Kidd. Today, I was speaking with Captain William A. Bill Robinson. Uh, Captain Robinson, the longest held POW in American history. This goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War. Seven and a half years, Captain Robinson was uh, held captive, went through uh, some very, very trying times. And here's segment number one, my interview with Captain William Robinson. U.S. Air Force retired. Certainly a lot of interesting stuff. Now, where do you want to start, Um because this, obviously this starts back at you as a as a boy and going back your father. Um, it appears that uh, you all didn't have a, a necessarily the best relationship and you didn't have a uh, – you had a tough time growing up.
1: Well, I don't think I had a tough time. I just uh, – you know, we all think our life is normal and everybody else's life is the one that screwed up, you know. So it's just a way of life. Wow. You know? mm-hmm. As I look back on it, yeah, I think that uh, uh, there's—I don't know if there's anything I could do to change it. I just—you uh, know, that's just the way life is, you know. You know, you just have to live with it move on.
0: Of course, you couldn't do anything about it. You were just a child. You were just a baby, and your father was a military man as well.
1: Yeah, he he served during World War II and um, got out and then went back into service and stayed another three years. He um, so he he ended up spending about five years in the military during the uh, end of World War II and and got out just
0: before the Korean War started. Get up close, Bill. Get that mic right up on you, buddy. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, and I just uh, this is actually my inaugural podcast. I'm calling this silly enough "Man Up with Billy Kid" podcast. This is April twelfth, nineteen or twenty two thousand eighteen. And I'm speaking with Captain William A. Billy Robinson, U.S. Air Force retired man, the longest um, enlisted man that was held in captivity as a POW prisoner of war, uh, seven and a half years. So I'll uh, preface that, and we're just going to have a little conversation here and talk about your book. The book is called "The Longest," um, the longest rescue, which, for obvious reasons, seven and a half years, seventy. Uh, Two thousand seven hundred and three days in captivity, uh, captivity in uh, Vietnam prison camps, and your book I have read, and uh, it's just some uh, just very disturbing and horrific stories and things that you had to go through. And can I call you Billy? That's what B- they called B- you, right? I'm R- Billy. Billy
1: or uh, Bill. Bill. Well, you know, like I said. Uh, that's how my wife can determine where a person fits in my life. In other words, I was called Billy up until I learned how to spell William, and then I been determined to be called William. And then during school, I was called Biggin, and when I joined the service, you know, my name automatically became Robbie. And, uh, and then uh, after, after I left the military, I, I just became Bill. <laughs>
0: Well, there you go. Well, I'll call you whatever you prefer. I, I, I feel like I should call you Captain Robinson, but um, nonetheless, I'm I'm glad that I've made friends with you and glad I connected with you. You have an amazing story. Uh, like I said, you were in the Air Force and you were shot down in a mission trying to uh, trying to rescue one of your fellow fellow soldiers.
1: Yes, we were. We had been sent over earlier, you know, in uh, April of 1965, and we are essentially were the beginning of rescue in southeast asia you know we had had been a group there before us and uh, we replaced them and um uh, we we essentially took an lbr airplane which stood for local base rescue and turned it into a combat airplane with a piece of quarter of steel underneath the pilot and the co-pilot seat and we sat on our world war ii flak vest in the back mm-hmm. and because the old uh, flak vests were made out of shingles so where somebody was shooting up at you, it wasn't a real advantage, so you're better off to sit on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and let's say too that you now you enlisted when you were eighteen. Yes. Sir. In this situation, when you got shot down, you were twenty two years old.
1: Right. I was scheduled to get out of the service in November, but I was on my essentially. I had probably and yeah, I had decided I was going to stay, but I was I was scheduled to go back home in July, but we were. Uh, the Air Force had bought a new airplane, and uh, they brought it over. And uh, because the situation, they thought they had bought the perfect airplane. So when they discovered it had problems, and we were extended for the duration. So essentially, I was shot down in the six-month, my three-month TDY in, uh, in September. And, and I was due to get out of the service or re-enlist in November.
0: Right. And you, but you were we were you on the fence, or do you th- think you were probably going to reenlist?
1: I, I was I was on the fence, but uh, you know I was just waiting for somebody to make me mad, and they weren't doing it. And so, you know, jokingly when I uh, when I got in the prison camp, my pilot was behind me. He tapped to the wall, and uh, you know, and I told him I was going to tell the Vietnamese I was due to get out of the military today see if they'd send me home. He said, "Well, I think you better get Commander Frank to reenlist you so the." Military won't cut off your pay. <laughs>
0: yeah, probably. <will. laughs> and it's amazing how you can laugh about all of this because some of these stories that you're going to tell us here are just, like I said, are just uh, terrifying and uh, fascinating at the same time. And many other folks went through the same thing that you did. Uh, absolutely. You know, there,
1: uh, I um, mean, you know, with, I, I credit the guys from yesteryears when I say yesteryears, World War II in Korea. You know. Uh, they could they proved that you could live in difficult circumstances and in and return home with honor so you know they they had kind of paved the way for us that i didn't say it made our life any easier but it it made it so that we knew that it was possible right and
0: you know so um all right so as i'm reading your book i'm in in when this all went down you had i guess your uh would it have been your your captain or your squad leader or whatever that he was he was first shot down and you were trying to find him and you were hovering around and you finally found him and you dropped down you dropped down a, a rescue rope
1: right what it, what it had happened to, uh, you know like I said this guy was F one hundred five pilot that had dropped uh, ordnance on his target and was running when he pulled out from his target and he took enemy fire and. And he made it as far as he could, and then he had to bail out the airplane. And our, our job was to try to go in and extract him out of the jungle. Mm-hmm. The problems being is that, you know, we had so many rules of engagement at that time, and we weren't allowed to get airborne until they had contacted him. So, you know, at the same time we we're looking for him, the enemy is looking for him. Sure. So, so you got all these things working against him. Once we were airborne and— We did have, uh, uh, basically, people over target, um, you know, communicate with him and being able to pinpoint him, and uh, then once we got into the area, then we were able to establish our grid, and and once we knew exactly where he was, then we descended down, and uh, essentially, we got in a hover about 90 feet above him, and, uh, and attempted to extract him from the jungle floor, and doing that process the a ones that were supporting us they took a hit in a rocket pod and I remember the last transmission over the radio was unauthorized dispose of the ordinance in the local area and and of course you know then they they left us in the middle of a rescue and uh, so once we um, but you know once you looked in the eyes of an, an American some 90 feet below you weren't going to leave him behind we were we could not have, we didn't have the fuel to be able to pull off and come back so we we stuck with our mission and tried to bring him off the ground About the time uh, he got into the sling then we started taking small arms fire and next thing you know we were on the ground right beside him
0: now, there's a story between that that I read, too, that you, um, once you got there, like you said, you didn't have the fuel to get back, so it's either a one-and-done situation. You're either going to get him and get him out right there, or you'll probably never be able to come back and find him again. Right. Enemies moving in on you. Now, you realize that your helicopter is getting shot up, mm-hmm. and so you're at the point now, you did something that I read in the book. You cut off the fuel. Why? So, you cut off the fuel switch. Oh,
1: okay. What, what had happened was, we, once we were on the ground... The uh, pilot was trying to sh- shut the airplane down, and and because you had to get uh, away from it, had to get away from it. and it was the airplane was in a deaf quiver, you might say, and so we had to get in there and and the pilot when I really was you know trying to get the rotors stopped because they were setting up there beating the hell out of each other, you know, and mm-hmm. slinging wood everywhere because they were going wood. down. so it's weird we're all already on the ground right already on
0: the ground. so now and the thing about having to get away from it is because. Um, the military would come in and blow up once. Once. Once a vessel crashed, a jet or a or yes. a helicopter, whatever crashed, you had to get away from it because they're going to come blow it up so the enemy can't come and get anything valuable. Uh, that's out of uh, it.
1: that's a normally, like I said, we have just a few moments to get away from the airplane and safely and uh, and because, uh, like I said. Uh, they want to make sure nothing on board falls in the enemy hands. Mm-hmm. so that's yes. that's again a purpose in mind. So right. if they you know if they have a they'll come in and lay a bomb on it, and there'll be splinters all over the place. So we were we were very fortunate. we probably got about a half a mile or three quarters of a mile away. So we were in a, a safe zone, you might say, and for the moment for the moment, and uh, we could hear voices, and so, decision was made by the that we probably needed to go in hiding and, and wait for darkness and darkness was our 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 ally you might say is to try to get out of the area overnight and we picked up the next day you know the we knew the airplane that was with us had taken hits and they had to evacuate the area because of uh of the damage they had experienced too so we knew they wouldn't it wasn't going to be anybody to come look for us until in the morning. And so the best thing to just do is try to hide and, until dark and then try to get out of the area and, you know, try to establish contact the next day. Now, how would
0: you establish contact? Did you have a handheld radio? We or what? had a,
1: you know, we had one radio between the four of us. And uh, it wasn't ro- working properly at that time. But, you know, you never know, but, you know, uh, what the situation was. We'd always, we just... In the heat of the moment, it uh, it didn't work. But you know, like I said, if we had the opportunity to tinker with it, maybe <laughs> maybe we could get it working. Or we we always had the hopes. But you know, they about war knew where we were and how much how much we could cover in a short period of time. So uh, yeah, we we felt confident if we could just stay in hiding and uh, and get far enough away that night that we would be picked up the next day. Because I mean, it was the only logical that we. And we'd head uh, west back to where we came from, so that that give them a hint when they started looking for us the next
0: day. Right, and you had uh, transponders on your before they blew it up on your helicopter, so they knew where you went down. Right, probably, and then also you got flares if you if they work. But the antennas on your, I read that the antennas on your uh, helicopter were on the underneath, mm-hmm. and so they all got sheared off when you crashed, and so that knocked out your helicopter communications. Right. and and so then you had your handheld radio but i think i read too that the antenna got knocked off (laughs) well it
1: it didn't it it wasn't working at the moment but you know we had high hopes i guess you might
0: say you gotta throw it out there you You know
1: know. you know you you just you know well you know like i said we were in contact with the pilot so he did have a radio so we we just hopefully that uh, we would stay close by him you might say right
0: all right, so there's part one of our podcast story here with uh, Captain William Bill Robinson, the longest-held enlisted man in uh, in American history. This was all the way back to uh, the Revolutionary War. That the longest-held POW uh, enlisted man. You said that there were also there were some. Uh, Officers that were held longer than you, but seven and a half years. I think you paid your dues, Bill Robinson.
1: <laughs> well, we had did. we had one guy, Everard Alvarez, up north that he was shot down on the first mission over North Vietnam on August the fourth, mm-hmm. nineteen sixty-four, and then we had uh, Colonel Floyd Thompson, the United States Army, that was captured on the twenty-sixth of March. 1964 and he was not released until the 16th of march 1973 so he spent 10 days shy of nine years in a in a mm-hmm. prison most of it in a bamboo cage in south vietnam so oh, so you know uh i won't say i was on a picnic but compared to what some folks went through you know it, you know And I I think about my personal experience and I was enjoying luxury accommodations up north compared to my brothers in South Vietnam who spent most of their time in bamboo cages and their chances of survival were slim next to none. In fact, we'll never have a true accounting of how many were captured and then executed versus uh, just being killed outright. But, you know, we do have reports that some were were held by renegade bunches and uh and they they traveled with them until you know they weren't able to travel and then they essentially were executed so you know that's uh some of the the horror stories out there so you know like i said once we were in the north uh we were other than the brutality of, of the vietnamese you know we are you know, we got two two meals a day. And, gotcha. And All right.
0: All right. Hold it right there. Let's talk some more about that because I want to move into part two of this uh, podcast. My very first podcast, by the way, Billy Kid here with, again with Captain William Robinson, um, uh, Madisonville's favorite son right there, the Man Up with Billy Kid podcast. Part two is coming up. Now we'll shift on to what actually happened once you got captured, okay? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, please check out segment two and three of my interview with Captain Bill Robinson.